if I remember rightly, Stuart, somebody asserted to you, oh, yeah, you're the guy who's on William's podcast. Gardening is therapeutic to many, so imagine how it must feel to be prevented from watering the garden how you may wish and watch plants you've been nurturing die in front of your eyes. I mean, my granddad used to say you shouldn't privatise anything that is essential to life. Yes. We're going to start the podcast in another different way today. This is William's podcast that I join in with. Well, I'll let William explain what that comment's about. Every time we go out and about, we always come up with a new catchphrase, and that seems to be it. This is William's podcast that I join in with. Anyway, I'm Stuart the Wild Man Mabber, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the People's Countryside Environmental Debate podcast. And uh, I've been a wildlife gardener for for, a couple more years, and I'll be approaching four decades. And uh, I still might not know what I'm talking about. Anyway, who's the co-host? Uh, my name is William Mankler, and remember, Stuart, without me, you'd be nothing. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that catchphrase came from an interaction recently. I think somebody, if I remember rightly, Stuart, somebody asserted to you, oh, yeah, you're the guy who's on William's podcast. Yeah, uh, uh, we were, recently we had a stall at the East Stockton I Farmer's Market. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Yeah. All along it's been my podcast, and I've been desperate to get my voice on this podcast yeah. as well. It's William been... was late, as always. As always. And I was waiting for him to turn up, and he, one of the organisers, or we thought he was one of the organisers, um, I've got your card marked, mate, and he came up to me and said, oh, uh, you're, you're, you're the guy who, who's on uh, William's podcast. And I thought, hmm, keep walking, uh, son. He knows, he, he knows, he knows, he knows. Anyway... Uh, a different you, way of starting this podcast is going straight into the question. Yes, and, uh, so this that's is, what we want to do. This question is from the Shire of Hampshire. Yeah, Diane. In, I think she's been on before. From the city of Southampton. Yeah. And it's from Diane, yes. I was going to do it differently, you see, and you've already messed right. that up, haven't you? I almost swore. Diane with one N. I almost swore then. Yeah. Uh, yes. So we always let out to listen to questions generally in these, in these uh, this is where you, the direction you've taken the podcast in. Yes. So what's Diane's question? I would say we don't answer, we discuss. True. Uh, um, yes. Like the last one, we had no idea. Yes, so Diane has said, um, has written to us, thank you very much for this uh, question and statement, because a lot of these are question statements as well. It's quite interesting how we get, you, you, we're getting, this is a place really for you to sort of get your own point across. Oh, and uh, then we, we, we discuss it, basically. Yep. So Diane says, during the summer of 2022, some water companies in the UK issued a hosepipe ban. Is it reasonable to pass the responsibility of sustaining water supplies during a drought to the general public when hundreds, if not thousands, of leaks occur from the water company's pipes, like the massive one that flooded Islington in North London and the one on Oxford Ring Road that a local councillor was spotted swimming in to make the point in August 2022? It seems to some that it's unfair to prevent domestic gardeners watering their plants and lawns when the leaks remain. Gardening is therapeutic to many, so imagine how it must feel to be prevented from watering the garden how you may wish and watch plants you've been nurturing die in front of your eyes. I also saw the source of the River Thames dried up and moved five miles downstream during the summer of drought in 2022. Is this because water companies are extracting too much water or is it a sign of global warming? You may feel it's impossible for any company to maintain the infrastructure we rely on as it's been built bit by bit and added to, and we now have too much to manage. Maybe this is all a symptom of our society isn't sustainable. Maybe you think many leaks occurred because the ground was too just so dry and the leaks 
aren't as widespread as the media says it is. So this is all about water security. Yeah, in many ways. In many ways, yeah. Um, so, uh, starting from the top, uh, is it reasonable to pass the responsibility of sustaining water supplies during the drought to the general public? I'm not sure the water companies, in fairness, were wholly doing that. Um, a lot of, Some of the leaks occurred, as you say, Diane, we've got a lot of uh, infrastructure that's been built piece by piece by piece and probably not up to up to up to the job now coming to the end of its life you have a dry weather the ground starts to move and then you get wet weather it moves again and you know um but what so i'm not sure they were they were wholly doing that but i have said before that we are brainwashed into thinking we as individuals can make a massive difference um, but I don't think these these fuel company not fuel co- water companies should turn a blind eye to the size of the difference they can also make. Um, so maybe it's it's not a fact that the, these leaks occur. It's maybe the speed they 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 they're resolved. Maybe is it, is it maybe there's uh, uh, water retention as well. So if you have leaks at certain times of year, there are other other reservoirs that are, hold the water for localised things? I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've always thought that out of everything that was privatised, water was one of the most ridiculous because mm. you're, you you can't, you don't have choice. I mean, my granddad used to say you shouldn't privatise anything that is essential to life. Yes. You know. and wa- but water and water is one of the yeah. it's probably one of the most is even more is, is more important than the than than than, than electricity mm. and gas I would say mm. you know if everything was cut off apart from one thing in your house mm. water would be one of the things you'd want cut off last wouldn't you yeah because it is an essential to life mm. uh, but you can't choose who you get your water from because you get it from your local authority yeah. and that local authority is a privately based privately private company who are responsible to their shareholders for creating a a a a particular percentage of 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 money return dividend of of return so i think they are often too held back by that or Mm. not just held back by it but that's the motivation and no matter how bad it gets to the customer you need to maintain your profits for your shareholders exactly yeah so that then takes the money away from where it should be put into is into the actual repair repairs Mm. now yeah i I would i would definitely take your point that there there's a lot of challenges that these companies face uh, but i don't i think it's exasperated by the fact that they're 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 too shoehorned into Mm. or too controlled by the shareholders i think thames water which is our local water authority as far as i'm aware it's still an australian owned company the australians Mm. bought it in 2005 they bought it when i was live on air on bbc radio oxford go back and try and find that archive of that show that was an interesting one anyway um you move on uh diane talking about um you know gardeners who who have to watch their plants die that they've spent time nurturing and it's therapy and you know, um, well, there's different ways of doing it. I remember there was a scheme in New Zealand where instead of having a hosepipe ban, there were certain days of the week that only odd numbers could water their garden and only odd even numbers and on other days could water. There's different ways of regulating it. 
if you have to keep watering, it means it's not really su su that sustainable. So you maybe need to be growing plants that are uh, of a drier climate. So we need to be growing plants that actually can cope. If you, and we always say we try and come up with actions. If you look at uh, look at Beth Chateau's garden, she passed away now. Beth Chateau had a, 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 a garden just outside of Colchester. And uh, she, she, apart from when she first put the plants in, she had a, a piece of land that never had water. It was completely, it wasn't desert conditions, it was a grab, dry gravel garden. So all sorts of things we can grow. So maybe instead of saying, I want to keep growing what I want to grow, and inflicting our will on our piece of land, and being depressed when the water companies say, oh, well, you can't water anymore, maybe we actually we should be actually, regardless of whether the water's coming out of the tap or not, maybe we should be growing something that doesn't require us to keep pumping water in to keep it. Because there are other things. We're just uh, creatures of habit. You know, yeah. you go to a garden centre, any garden centre anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, they they will buy uh, they will sell what the locals buy but the locals are, are are largely quite blinkered because they just grow what they've always grown. There's a lot of gardeners aren't adventurous. They don't, uh, uh, you know, when not because I used to work in garden design, and most people uh, they would only garden around the edges of the garden and leave the grass in the middle. You know, and I say no, you've got a whole piece of area you can design into, and I would do these fancy designs. And then they'd say, yeah, love this, love this, love this. And then when you put price it, they'd say, yeah, don't quite love the price quite as much as the idea. We'd start taking bits and bobs out of the design. And in the end, you were just left with the design around the edge of the garden. Yeah. So I actually, um, us gardeners, uh, and I include myself as one, uh, we are forward-thinking people, but we also get stuck in ruts and grow the same thing in the same places. There's more we can grow. So, we, And I was just thinking about through all that as well, Stuart, that we're getting... You mean I'm waffling on all that? Yeah, you're definitely waffling. You're taking my title away from me. How dare you? Yeah. Um, but through all of that, um, I was thinking of how about how, because the climate is changing, uh, whether man-made or not, it is definitely changing, that I, I read a stat somewhere that's saying that every year uh, gardens in England are sort of moving, climate-wise, moving south. Mm. I think it's 60 yards or something like that every every year. Yeah. So actually, climate-wise, you're, you're, you're getting a more... The climate is changing here, definitely. Mm. definitely. So you, you, it's responding to that and actually responding mm. to, 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 like you say, maybe adapt and grow different mm. plants that will actually will thrive in a more drier environment. Yeah. Or should we say, um, it's almost like um, uh, we have more like seasonal rains now rather mm. than actual uh, seasons itself. So we mm. have lots of rain and then nothing for a, a yeah. period of time. Maybe to look at, uh, plants growing stuff plants in your garden that will actually thrive in those conditions yeah the uh you also say uh diane um uh, you saw the source of the river thames dried up and moved five miles downstream during the drought of 2022 is this because water companies are extracting too much or a sign of global warming bit of both when you get a dry weather the, the source does move i've seen yeah. it move um i don't know whether five miles uh, is more or less than in other years, I'd need to look into that. But yes. you do get that during dry weather. And this, the source of the Thames is quite a contentious issue, isn't it? Yeah, and you, you, you could argue, yeah, there might be over-extraction by water companies further downstream, but again, that needs looking into. My understanding of the Farmore Reservoir, uh, which is the, uh, just outside of Oxford, is it's way above 
the river. When the river uh, is is running high and there's a lot of water in it, it doesn't run into the reservoir. They have to pump it out. They have to apply to pump it into the reservoir. Now, if the river's high and muddy, they can't really pump because it's all it silts up. Yeah. You know, so it's not like some some reservoirs up north, like Lady Bower and uh, Derwent Water up in the Peak District. When it rains, the rain comes off the hills. It runs into the reservoir. It's not like that. It's pumped. The, you know, when you actually hit the reservoir, you're way above the river. So it's not a gravity. It's basically not a gravity-fed reservoir. Because no, no. yeah, the ones you're talking about up in the Peak District are are basically dammed rivers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, dammed valleys. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's not yeah. the same. Yeah. So yeah. then you have to. That's a very different different method, and actually makes it more complex to actually fill mm. that reservoir up. Yeah, because when you sometimes when the, 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 those reservoirs in the Peak District dry up, you start to see old churches and buildings appearing through the above the waterline. Yeah, there was drought. There's been droughts in in southern Europe. I'm trying to remember whether it was in Spain or Italy that an entire not just an not just not just the spires, but an entire village, including the old the old bridge that mm. went that crossed the river there, appeared overnight basically because it mm. went well, overnight maybe, but you know it appeared because of the the lack of lack of water in this reservoir. Something you do say that I find intriguing though, Diane, is uh, um, you may feel it's impossible for any water company to maintain the infrastructure we rely on, as it's been built bit by bit. And it maybe it's a symptom of our society isn't really sustainable. Um, I, I think that's in there. I, I, I do, I do, I do question the logic of collecting loads of water in one area that might be wetter, and then transporting it huge amounts of miles to go to another area. Just like uh, they want to build another rare reservoir just outside of Oxford, mm. and primarily that's going, that's that's to supply water to London. Mm. Um, that's the thinking and it's, I do do wonder whether we need to make all this stuff more localised mm. you know um, it, I'm not saying wholly localised but I do think there's we're moving away from bringing water from somewhere else and it's sort of like oh, you know, there's, the, the, there's somewhere else that, that it's a long way away so the problem's at arm's length and it, it and, and turning it around the other way, it, it, uh, is this an indication of unsustainable structures we live by? Just have a think about those turds you're flushing away down the down down the toilet. You know, you're giving that problem to somebody else. Yeah, so giving it to an expert, basically, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, so uh, surely there's a way of localising that. So we're processing our own turds and not flushing it away, sending it somewhere else, giving it another expert to solve our problem. And and maybe was, making it more localised. Yeah, and I remember a story recently, because there's one, 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 one big controversy that we've had recently is uh, sewer, sewage, sewage, basically effluent being put pumped straight into the river. Yeah. Now, there was this, this is one person who phoned in a, a radio show that I listen to quite often, uh, James O'Brien's radio show, actually. You've mentioned it once or twice. I have, yeah, because I enjoyed listening to it. He lived in a house that backs onto a river, right? Uh, he, but he's not on the grid, as it were. So he, not he, he has a cesspit mm. at the bottom of his his his, his garden. Mm. That's where all the effluent goes to. On a reg, on a semi-regular basis, I don't know how often he does this. Say, say, say I don't know how what the as a regular, but the, he gets mm. a a local farmer comes along, charges him two hundred pounds to take it away. A hundred pounds of that goes to the place he takes it to, and the place he takes it to, he can actually see see from his 
the, mm. the, 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 the treatment facility, you can actually see from his back garden. Yeah. Now, they're illegally allowed, especially at times of high water, they're allowed to put just up that straight in the river. Yeah. Yeah. However, he and basically that 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 water then flows past his house. His house. Yeah. So he would get in, if he put if he just basically dumped it straight in the river, he'd get in serious trouble yeah. for it. So how can that facility, mm. that company who owns that facility, be allowed to do that? Yeah. Legally. Mm. But this is this is what I mean that. Our toilet habits are indicative of the unsustainability of how we live. It's sort of like we're making it somebody else's problem. Yes. It's pushing it away. It's always about pushing it away. Do you think Do you think that, uh, I think in some ways, and this is maybe a lot, quite a controversial uh, idea, but I think that we have, we still have very, very Victorian values mm. on things. And we also rely heavily on Victorian infrastructure still. Yeah. Uh, I think about the railways is a good example. I mean, there's a railway bridge in Oxfordshire right now. The, the actual foundations were built in 1844 when the line was built, which is mm. in, it's never been upgraded. There's and gonna it's be, sinking. And it's sinking. There's there's a big sewer system in, in London which is being being replaced that was still the Victorian Victorian system but I think we also have we also have Victorian values often about these things you know mm. when you when you have a when you have a big dump you flush it away and have to think about it mm. again mm. you know you don't we don't think about where it goes and that's the reason why you end up having these big fatbergs and clogs and mm. stuff like that because people just flush the stuff they don't want away out of their house they don't want it in their house anymore so they mm. get rid of it it's the cleanliness, godliness. Is it cleanliness is close to godliness? Or yeah, Googleness is next to godliness. Yeah. Yes. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Do you know something else that's sinking? Your microphone. My microphone's touching. <laughs> yeah. These sounds of him adjusting himself. His chin was right down by his chest. Could speak properly again. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, good question, Diane. Uh, plenty to think about there. Actually, my yes. microphone's dropping now in sympathy. I, 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 I do think there are, um, we have to be careful not to blame, but that we are creatures of habit and we haven't progressed as much as we think we have. You know, we've made some technological strides, but our progression as a species hasn't necessarily gone alongside that. Something that has progressed, there was this podcast and the idea was to actually always take it live in front of a live audience. And that's what we're doing on May the 27th. If you go down into the description, Environmental Debate Live and Unscripted is the, this podcast format, expanded and adapted, not recorded, and set in front of a live ticketed audience uh, with panel guests, plenty going on. Have a look in there. Um, I might have one of my first public outings in an in, in, in NHS wheelchair on that day. I won't have, uh, have me all-terrain one delivered by then because I need to get some funding in place for that. Nice. Uh, Wild Man on Wheels, that was what we were going to call me. Wow. So, um, anyway, you're looking forward to uh, that event at Bothy Vineyard? Yeah, I am actually, yeah. Um, it's always a challenge when you're in front of a live audience. Mm. That's a challenge we both face, right? Yeah, um, for different reasons. For different reasons. And you, it's facilitating that conversation. Yeah. In a way, actually, uh, when you come to this, this event... Uh, if you if we're talking if we're talking if you feel we're talking too much or we hear a lot from us we're we're in a way not doing our job properly are we Stuart? Yeah, yeah. we're there to facilitate the conversation as much as the 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 um, invited panel guests are um, but really it's all about you the audience yeah you know the first half is to get you warmed up the second half is very much about you yeah and then the food afterwards continues it's about your bellies fills up yeah 
And you mentioned, I think, I think it was actually in the last recording. I can't remember if it was off air or on air. I can't remember yeah. about, about actually how we, even though even though we've progressed so much scientifically and our you know we've progressed so much we've we, we've gone to the we've gone to the moon and all that sort of stuff uh we what it boils down to the human condition is actually everybody needs shelter everybody needs food everybody needs needs have they had very similar similar needs and actually having a conversation with somebody over a bit of food after a very long you know a nice long discussion of uh, about food and water security which are going to be big and meaty subjects aren't they mm. uh, is i think a great way to spend a saturday yeah so it's the 27th of may not long now no so join us again on the 16th of may when tom and garland in texas usa will be setting our next american question that we will discuss indeed and i would say that Philford heath is not that far away from southampton diana yeah so pull your finger out get a ticket there are a few left <laughs>